Um, okay. You you picked this one, so I think <laughs> I did, and I don't regret it. I, I don't, don't either. It. I I love. I don't think I'd ever read it. Remember, I was like, I'm sure I read really it. Think you didn't? I don't know how that's possible, but I feel like when I read a really old romance, sometimes there's that moment where you're like, oh, I remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did not ever have that moment. How is that possible? Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay, so um, welcome everybody to Fate of Mates. <laughs> um, I also realize we never introduce ourselves anymore. I'm Sarah McLean. I write romance novels and I read romance novels. I'm Jen Prokop. I'm the romance, what's my title again? Oh, the romance correspondent for Kirkus. Right. Fancy. You want to tell everybody what Kirkus is? Kirkus is a book review outlet, and mostly it's pretty awesome. I don't know, really. I don't understand how it works. I had a dream last night that um, my editor called me and was like, we have to change everything. And I was like, okay, but do I just still get to write about romance? That's really all I care about. <laughs> Aww. You know, I've been having all these weird dreams for the last, like, six or seven dip nights. I have dreamt about celebrities. Interesting. Like, being friends with celebrities, like hanging out with celebrities. Last night I had this dream that I was friends with Amy Schumer and um, it was great. She just, we just, I was like sitting around and she was just making me laugh and I was like, this is really nice. <laughs> so currently my dream, my dreamscape is filled with like nice dreams about celebrities. That's nice. Not dreams about having to toss out romance at Kirkus. But anyway, um, so this is Faded Mates. Everyone, thanks for being with us. This week, we are talking about Gentle Rogue by Joanna Lindsay, um, which is one of my, definitely a book that blooded me. Like, for sure, a book that blooded me. What year did this come out, and when did you read it? It came out in 1990, and I would have been 12, and so I probably read it, uh, like, right around there. Like, right around there. Yeah. Um, I probably found it in the library. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I, this is the Mallory book that I remember reading and, like, really loving. Like, it, this is the, this is the one I remember. I have a fun fact about this. Oh, well, actually, I can do the math. Um, because I would have been in, I was in the seventh grade, when I read this book. So I don't know. How old are seventh graders? 13, Sarah. 13. 12 going on 13. <laughs> Ask me how I know. So I was a December baby. I was always the youngest in the class. So I probably was 12. You're 12. You're turning 12. And I was reading. So here's a fun fact. My um, like best friend from childhood, her name is Lindsay. No relation to Joanna Lindsay. <laughs> um, her name is uh, her name is Lindsay, and she sat next to me in seventh grade geography and in our high school, in our, like, school district, Lincoln, Rhode Island. Um, shout out to the Lincoln school system for, <laughs> you know, <laughs> making me. Um, in Lincoln, Rhode Island, seventh and eighth grade at the time were middle school. So I had done, like, K through six sure. in elementary and then turned up in middle school for seventh grade. And, like, is that first year of middle school just terrible for everybody like when you have to switch into a new school and like it's more kids and like you have to sort of restructure your whole like friendship and seventh grade is honestly terrible for everyone <sighs> in every way 
And I've been teaching seventh grade for a long time. And what I tell people is I'm like, you know, I think my work is important. But when Mm -hmm. you, I ask a lot of people this. So actually, this is great for Twitter. I ask a lot of people like, do you remember anything you read in seventh grade in school? And the answer is almost always no. That in the act of repressing all those memories, you just also (laughs) repress schoolwork. Everything goes. Well, here's the thing. I do not remember anything I read for school, but I do remember something I read for for not school. So, I mean, I was really, like, I was, you know, chubby and, like, nerdy and, like, my family was going through some stuff and, like, I had started this new school and I didn't really, I never really got, I, I wanted to just sort of, like, say goodbye to like sixth grade. And um, I started seventh grade and I didn't have any friends really, but I had romance novels. Like I had discovered romance novels like in the, probably the summer before seventh grade. Like it was sort of, you know, it was happening. And so like all I did, like I would get to school and I would like read romance novels between like before school started and like between classes and at lunch. And like, I just didn't ever want to like look another person in the eye because I was, you know, a 12 year old and that's terrible. (laughs) Um, And I got to, so I was taking uh, geography in the seventh grade and um, my teacher's name was Mr. And I'm naming him (laughs) for a reason. Um, And so Mr. was like, now, of course, looking back, he probably was like 22, (laughs) right? Like at the time he was like a grown human, but like now, no way. Like he was for sure new to teaching, like, you know, in his early 20s, probably. But, um, and so I got to my tape, my, my desk and I would open and he would teach from the book. Of course. The geography textbook. And so I would open the geography textbook and put a romance novel inside and just like read the romance novel. And Lindsay, who did not go to my elementary school, like sat next to me and she was also like kind of like morose. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and she sat next to me and one day early in the year, she turned and looked at me and she was like, what are you reading? (laughs) Like during class. And I was like, I'm, I'm reading this book and it was gentle rogue. (laughs) And, um, and she was like, Oh my God, I read romance novels too, but I'm afraid to bring them to school. And I was like, fuck that. Bring them to school. (laughs) Yeah, right. So we started, like, trading romance novels. And then we became, like, best friends. And fast forward to being 30 years old and having my first book, like, public, like, being a published author. The librarian at Lincoln High asked me to come and do a talk for students about just being a writer and, like, the writing process. She's very interested, I'm sure you will appreciate this, English teacher, in hearing writers talk about revision. Oh, God, yes, please. (laughs) Anybody out there who wants to talk to my students about revision, please. (laughs) They act like you are asking them to, like, traverse an entire continent with, like, only, like, a drop of water and a single flip-flop. I mean, it's like... (laughs) They're like, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. (laughs) Yeah, well, so she asked me to come and talk about revision. So I did. I came and I gave this, like, big presentation to, like, uh, I don't know, the 
It was middle school. It wasn't high school. It was middle school. Um, And to like a large group of students. And I told, I introduced it by saying like, I write romance novels. I used to go to middle school here. um, And I have a funny story. And I told this story, right, about Mr. And I was like, and so, but it was really just about like how like here, like this is where I came to romance. Like it was supposed to be sort of, and all the kids thought it was hilarious and like they all laughed and I had the whole room. And at the end, a man comes up to me who is Mr. Sure. And he yelled at me. Stop. He did. He was like, I'm really upset that you would tell that story and that you would give students uh, permission to the, – the idea – that you would give students the idea. <laughs> like, so no I had never had it before. <laughs> and he was like – and I just – he's like, now I'm going to have to deal with them being, you know, difficult in class. So I would appreciate it if you wouldn't tell that story anymore. <laughs> well, fuck off, Mr. Snow. That's terrible. <laughs> I, I tell people all the time. I'm like, my life's goal is to just get kids out of middle school still thinking it's cool to read. You know what I do when I see a kid reading under their desk? Because, of course, it happens. I say, don't make me tell you not to read. I was like, I'm like Voldemort right now. A little piece of my soul just <laughs> flicked off. I just made a horcrux by having to tell you that. That's how it feels. Don't do that to me. And they're like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Mr. No! never noticed. But uh, he knows now. And uh, I'm pretty pissed off. Like, you don't get to police my language or my, like, speech to your school, man. He could have, are you kidding? He could have ridden the wave of that amazing story for years. Yeah. Just not that creative. Anyway, sorry, Mr. No! but I did okay. <laughs> and and uh, my friend Lindsay and I became like very good friends trading Joanna Lindsay novels. And so it's interesting because um, there, Gentle Rogue is the one I picked for this. But The Magic of You, which is Amy Mallory, mm. the cousin... The Mallory, the young, like, one of the twins, the young Mallory cousin, and Warren Anderson, George's I'm not even going to lie to you. I, like, read the back, and I was like, God damn it, now I got to go back and read these 30-year-old follow-up fucking books. (laughs) Warren, will you be brought to your knees? And it's so funny because, like, there are now things, like, on the reread, there's this moment way at the end where Warren's like... You won't ever have to be married to him. Like, I'm going to have the marriage annulled. And Georgina's like, he's not, like, I'm not her. Yeah. And and I'm like, oh, who? Warren, what happened to you? Because <laughs> I don't remember. But now I'm sort of like, is it worth it for me to read the rest of this Mallory Anderson series? And I think we can all agree that the answer is yes. Anyway, so you don't think you've read this before. Yeah, so it was really interesting. I was pretty convinced that that upon rereading, it would, like, come back to me. Because certainly, but then I was like, you know, maybe I didn't read a lot of Joanna Lindsay. I had the same experience with Prisoner of My Desire, remember? Where I was like, mm. I'm sure I've read that. And then I was like, I don't think I read this. So, I mean, I don't know how, how? you missed her, but you should come back. Come back around. <laughs> Seriously. But I will say, I, so here's the thing I 
I want to say, and then maybe you should give an overview. Um, One of the things I find really interesting about reading these older romances, right, these 30-year-old books, is that they're like, and I was like, as I was thinking this, I was like, this all seems so cliché. Some of it, mm. right? And then I was like, oh, it's not that this is the cliche, right? No. It's it's forming this, like, <laughs> these tropes that we've it been is using. It is cliche. Right? But, it's, but what's it called when you are the thing? <laughs> yes. And I was like, it. so for me, it was a really fascinating. It's always really fascinating. Because I will say, and, I, and this comes up a lot, right? People are like, oh, it's a hard read. Like, there's, so, you know, so many things about it are different. And I would like to say that, like, when I go back and read old romances, I'm just reading them differently. I'm I'm reading them like an archaeologist, I guess, finding sure. a piece of pottery. I'm not intending to cook in that motherfucker, but I am excited to see, like, what it holds. So I would say, and that to me then, it's the barrier between, like, my sort of feelings of, like, disappointment or things where I'm like, whoa – becomes just, like, interesting for what it was doing at the time rather than, like, if I was reading a book now maybe where, you know, James Mallory owns a plantation and probably slaves. Whoa! Yeah! It's interesting because I have forgotten that. And, but everybody does. The Andersons don't yeah. run, don't, like, she says. Oh, yeah. George, when George is, like, talking through at the very beginning, like, how the Andersons, like, hate the British and they don't use London as a port. And, like, there's a lot of, like, leaping around why they're, like, these are they're global shipping magnets, but they don't use London as a port. And they're, and she's like, they're much better, much more lucrative in the West Indies. And, and I like, was <gasps> like, oh, no, no, Joanna. But, you know, here's the the thing I, I I was like whoa I mean I will admit I was no, like this is no you know what though here's what I found myself thinking and this is I it's not like I'm excusing it but part of me is like maybe it's more honest to admit that these MFers all are like crazy rich off the backs of the slave trade I mean look here's <laughs> this is the biggest challenge in writing historical romance now, then, forever, right? Is that as long as we are writing the Regency, yeah. or like the the eighteen? I mean, you get you edge out of it, like well, you edge out of it into colonialism, which is a whole another bag of tricks. But like, as long as you're writing Georgian, which is late seventeen hundreds, or Regency, which is early eighteen hundreds, you are having if you have a man on a ship, yes, or not on a ship, if you have a very very rich family yes that family has made money in people yeah and in the victorian era it's they are still making money in people but in a very like in a different way they're making money off the backs of labor right right Right. it's like sweat labor in the in the industrialization in the worker right right which I'm in no way saying is like better, worse, et cetera. I mean, it's certainly pro- it's deeply problematic. But like in this, it is it is better because we're all we're talking about like actual trading of slaves that is building this yeah this income in the 1700s and early 1800s in England. Although slavery was outlawed in the early in 1806, I looked it up. It was 18. 18- 
Am I right? There are was, all sorts of different. Yeah. L- there are all sorts of different laws that like enacted over sure. the course of the first like twenty five years of the eighteen hundreds. I'm not. Anyway, the point is, this is none of this is good. No, and this is why when you when I'm writing like I'm writing dudes who run shipping companies and like I explicitly put on the page like this is what they run. Yes, this is how they run it. They've been asked to run people. They, and they do won't. not run yeah. people. Right? Like there's, but that's. That's my, like, magic wand waving. Sure. What's interesting with these early books, Flame and the Flower, Brandon runs a plantation. Like, this, like, anyone who's running shipping, like, the fact that Lindsay overtly says, like, oh, they're running, like, the West Indies trade routes are more lucrative. Like, they're running sugar, sugar. Like, yeah, they're (laughs) running, holy shit. (laughs) Like, this is bad, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I just found myself really like, I I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, like I said, I think, but I think it points to, I mean, and we've talked about this before, a similar inability in heroes now to talk about how they became billionaires, right? Like anyone who's out there, like, and this is like my thing all the time, romance knows how to tackle the patriarchy. Romance does not know how to tackle class and romance does not know how to tackle the very real like uh, capitalism, right? The cost of capitalism. And and I, I I don't know, like it's a like an interesting digression. I didn't think we'd get to it first, but I will say I was both shocked but also like shit, at least it's out there on the page and then you get to decide. But I also was very very happy. That they like the whole time they're heading to Jamaica. I was like, mm. oh mm. shit, what is about Very, to happen? Dreadful. Yeah. And yeah. I was glad that they never really got there, right? Like I was, I, I found myself dreading that. Well, you do. I had a. Mm, I had a moment where I was thinking like, oh, this is really interesting because it's 1990. Yeah. So it's 18 years after The Flame and the Flower where they do get to the plantation Mm. and there is this sort of like mammy figure and like it's deeply, deeply problematic, even though it's sort of said on the page like, oh, well, Brandon pays his workers. Sure. It's like, "Mm, I don't know about this. This felt like, Joanna was like Lindsay was sending the ship there because she was sending the ship there, and then at some point in the text, she realized like, oh shit, we right. can't get there. Like there, something has to happen to prevent me from having to deal with to the deal with this reality of Jamaica. What you had said right before we started recording is this book is remarkable in the sense that it has no real plot, right? No. So if you're putting people on a road trip slash ocean trip. What is going to propel them forward from port to port? And it's, we knew all along that something was going to have to happen. Sure. Sure. (laughs) But I mean, (laughs) what? Like, there's really, like, what's really fascinating about this. So, okay. If you had said to me, you know, three weeks ago, if you had said, okay, Sarah, what is the plot of Gentle Rogue? (laughs) I would have been like, okay, it's amazing. He's a pirate. She's an American who's shot, who's like the sister of a bunch of shipping magnates. And she's desperate to get, she goes to, I, here's what I remembered. She goes to London to find her fiance because her fiance was like a D bag and like <laughs> ended up just piecing out on her. Yeah. Right. I didn't remember like the English American anything. She gets to England, she meets, she finds out that the this guy is, 
like married with kid mm-hmm. and then has to get back home in shame and she stows away i would have said she stows oh, away yeah. on a on a pirate ship and on like a ship run by a pirate who is 20 years her senior yeah. Right. I remembered the ages. I mean, here you are, you guys. This is we're peeling back the id for Sarah. Right. Like, <laughs> I'm like, this is what I remember. She's on a pirate ship. We meet her shooting radishes at cockroaches, which I fucking love. Right. And I like this part of this podcast is going to be like Sarah McLean's like love letter to Georgina Anderson. Oh, Anderson. God, she was right? so great. Yeah. But like, she's amazing. And then they have the journey back and he, she is dressed as a boy, like <laughs> as a cabin boy. But I had kind of forgotten that he knew right away. He knew right away. I was really surprised at that. Yeah. Like, I thought for sure, I would have told you for sure that she was like, there was a revelation yeah. scene. Um, which ultimately becomes, like, the money scene for so many future romances is that, like, revelation scene. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, he's not a he's not a boy, he's a girl. Um, and then I don't know what <laughs> after that. Right. <laughs> and you know what? I want to talk about the pacing because, you know, the pacing of this book is very, again, seems dated now, right? Like, the first nine chapters are all that other business. She doesn't get on the ship till chapter 10. And it's, and she's not off the ship. No, the first few chapters take, like, forever. It takes forever for her to find her fiancé. Yeah, right. Like, now, in the hand, like, if I were writing this book, chapter one, like, oh, it's her knocking knocking on the the door door of my fiancé's house. Right, and then storming off, right? All that exposition, how she got there, all that. Myself under the table in a right. tavern and be picked up like a sack of flour by James Mallory and carried out. Right. Yes. No. I am having it. <laughs> I know y'all feel like, well, he's so brutish and he picks her up and throws her over his shoulder and like manhandles her. I'm here for it. Yeah. No, that's fine. <laughs> I think the other thing is so then, you know, they're only on the ship that whole like she's in disguise, he really knows. For 15 chapters, right? From 10 to 25. And then you're like, I literally was like, what the fuck? There is so much more of this book. (laughs) It's like a farce, though. It's like in and out of ports, on and off of ships. She has 83,000 brothers. Oh, God. (laughs) You know what? I will say that was the other thing, though, that really stuck out to me was the complete and utter lack of other women characters. Women. I know. Until the very end. Until Regina turns out Yep. And then Tony's wife. But even then, that it was so minimal. And I just. Regina. I don't know. uh, That's his his niece. Like Regina, Reggie. Regina married the pirate in the first one, Love Only Once. So a lot uh, of pirates in this family. Yeah. But I was like, this, it was really also Rosalind. stuck out to me, right? How, how sequestered she is. She is really all alone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can I, I have so many thoughts. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go first? Cause I, I want to talk about characters. I want to talk about yeah. family. I want to talk about the, the fact that there is no plot and like how that's an interesting like thing. <laughs> When we're talking about plots, so can we talk about that first? Yeah, go for so it. So usually at the beginning of this, you've sort of heard me do a, like, a little, we've done a little bit of a recap, right? But, like, so on, I think that what's really fascinating about this book is that it reads, for me, it read really fast, 
But the plot is so sort of light that I had this moment where I was like, what is it about this book that I remember, like, that was so formative for me, Mm. right? Which I think is the question that we're asking ourselves all the time this season. And I think, like, what's really fascinating about this is that the four, all the formative elements of this book are things that I really adore in romances now. So it's, like, the strong heroine, the, the, like, smart-mouthed hero who, like, Mm -hmm. won't acknowledge his feelings, the multiple male communities, right? Like, the all the brothers, brothers, all the, like, friends, like, everybody And then his first mate. Right. There's this, like, kind of general sense of, like, brotherhood all along in the background Mm -hmm. that's sort of, like, propelling emotions forward in the hero. Um, The ship, like, the pirate the pirate thing, but like, there's no piracy going on. No, totally. Like, so it's like, everything is like pirate light, alpha light. Everything's sort of like very light, strong heroine, heavy. Like, so for me, like looking at my writing, looking at the books that I love to read for me, this book is about Georgina for me. Like, yeah, she's such a powerful character who, really is revolutionary, I think, in romance at the time. Yeah, I found myself thinking she was the reason I kept reading. Yeah. Right? She's super sex positive. Like, yeah, I really want to talk about that. I'm, like, blown. I I was shocked by that. I finished it this morning, and I was like, God, I don't remember any of this. Like, this... Her sex positivity is awesome. I want to get to sex on the page in this book, too. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, And then, but on top of it, like, from the start, she's like, fuck everything. Like, the world is my oyster. I'm taking it. Yeah. Like, she's been waiting for six years for this, like, jerk to come back to her. Right. And she finally is just fed up. And she's like, I'm going. I know my brothers aren't going to let me go, so I'm going on my own. Yeah. Um, I'm living in a sin squalor and, like, hotel squalor in yeah. London. I'm going to find this guy. I'm going to marry him. Oh, wait, he's married with a kid? Fine. Like, fuck off. I'm getting out of here. Yeah. And she just, I mean, I like her so much. And then at one point, like, Mac, her friend. Right. This, like, fam- almost like an uncle. Yeah, her, like, family uncle friend is like, uh, well, you don't have to be a cabin boy on this ship. Like, I'll just see if I can get you on as my, like, younger brother. Like, right. as, like, a, like they don't have to pay me. I'll work for our passage. And she's like, no, that's bullshit. I'm working. Like, I know how to swab a deck. I know how to run a... Sure. Like, sleep, sleep in, in a hammock. hammock. I know how to, like, I know how to climb a rigging. Like, I can do this. Yeah. I just love that because it's such a... It's so antithetical to what we think of as being original romance heroines. Even yeah. though, like, how many times have we said, like, romance is adventure novels with women at the center Yeah, in these early days? Like, it's such a good – she's such a great character. Yeah, I loved her. I loved her combination of, like, fearlessness and then at times, like, total, like – 
trepidation, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know how else to describe it, right? Like, there are times where she was just like, I'm doing this. You cannot stop me. But then other times where, you know, she could sense, like, the... I don't know that she was in danger. It felt like she had a really finely tuned sense of, Mm -hmm. um, like, when she could, like, proceed and when to, like, hang back. And the hanging back was never, like, fear-based. It was almost more, like... Um, strategic retreat, strategic retreat. Like I'm going to wait till like, it's a better moment for me and then I'm going to make my play. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to talk about the way that her body is like her, I, her like physicality is described though. So part of it is like, she's like an ugly duckling character. Yeah, and And these were some of the cliche (laughs) slash things, right? That I was like, really? Yeah, okay. But she's she was ugly and like like ugly. Yeah, is the way is the framing that is given to her like that? She's like not attractive. She's not attractive young girl. Right. She's very um, rich. And she has a equal stake in the Mallory shipping – no, in the Anderson, Anderson. shipping uh, company, which, you know, is split between 83,000 siblings but seems to be a lot of money anyway. Um, she owns her own ship. Yep. Um, and she is, like, incredibly powerful and obviously very, like, smart but not attractive. And so – and she knows she's not attractive and so, like – that all she has going for her is a dowry. Yeah. Right? Now, in modern, in 2019, <laughs> this character remains unattractive. Yeah. Like, empirically, right? But it's 1990 romance. And so she couldn't be. Like, she... Yeah, she had to be. Lindsay establishes along with... I mean, look, every every time you see an unattractive heroine on the page in these early books she ends up like going through some sort of like remarkable transformation and the whole world discovers that she's beautiful but there's this like very real cinderella y feel to this where she has gone through this transformation and is now like the most beautiful person yeah in you know the on the eastern seaboard <laughs> of the united yeah. states right um, and I think that's really interesting. I think it takes away a little bit from the from the story, but at the same time, like it does lay down this really primordial trope. Well, that and that's we see it. Over that's and over again. I think probably what triggered my this is such a cliche. Oh no, this made the cliche was like yeah. that because prior to this we were looking at like Devereaux's heroines of the 80s were all like just perfect like yeah. the heroine of the black lion you know she's just she's the perfect specimen of femininity but then it's weird because i feel like joanna Lindsay is playing like she's doing something here and i don't think it's over like i, th- I think she's struggling a little bit with like how to describe how to like make the book work yeah and describe george the way she does because then george is like oh wait i can hide as a cabin boy and i look like a you know tall 9 year old boy oh yeah and i was like <laughs> first of all e No. Well, and, like, straight-up homophobia on page, right? Like, we're used now to, I think, uh, women in pants as sort of a symbol for how to, like, 
enter into the patriarchy and like, you know, it's complicated now, right? With the way that we now think about trans people and who they are and their rights. Of course, many of them have said like, you just can't put on pants and all of a sudden be accepted in the patriarchy. But for her to be like, I'm like, I have the figure of a 10 or 12 year old boy. It was a lot of it was really like, I don't know. I'm like making this face. It didn't really, that's the kind of stuff that didn't work for me. And then there's straight up homophobia on page, right? Like James is afraid I'm going to get an erection and she's going to think it's because I'm a boy and then, or it's because she's a boy and then she'll not understand that I knew all, I mean, and I was just like, "Mm, none of that needed to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So again, really dated and really, it's like a really, it was, it was just interesting to me. Yeah. It is interesting. It's also really interesting this um I mean it brought it it brought up a really interesting question for me it, it related to the same thing. So E Ottoman had this great thread mm-hmm. on Twitter maybe 8 or 10 months ago about how when he was reading romance in the early days, like this kind of masquerading as like heroines masquerading as men, yeah, was a space for him to sort of feel weirdly seen, yeah, like by the books because the books weren't putting. We know now, right, from uh, the work that I did with the Trailblazer video that like E. Ottoman. Was actually was in fact the first person to put trans characters on the page in a romance novel. The first Mm -hmm. um, own voices, I should say. Um, And so that was in 2013. So like back in 1990, in 1975, like these books didn't exist in a. um, And so like this was the kind of closest you could get to seeing. Yeah. yourself represented. And I agree that, I, I mean, as you know, you and I have talked a lot about this as a trope because I have yeah. I have written heroines who put on pants and go into male space, right? right? And, and so, you know, there's a lot of discussion about, like, how the way you can do that carefully thinking about patriarchy, like thinking right. about what you're saying about what spaces belong to men versus women and the experience of women in male space, et cetera. Or like what is it, what is, it, what is given to people who are cis, sure. Cis men versus other. Um, that said, um, in this particular case, I don't think there's any of that going on here. No. Like there's this is there's no sort of analysis or sort of no. thoughtful. It's just like, a plot device. And I think the way we know that is that she never actually succeeds for a second because he knew all along. And so she, yeah, she doesn't dominate the space in any way. No, no, not at all. In fact, he hides her away, right? He understands that she potentially would be putting herself in danger, that he desires her, he's going to hide her away, you know, so that she can't... I mean, it's, like, actually really... It's both protective, but also... I mean, it well, it just felt like the '90s, right? I, it's it, it was it did not feel sexy to me. His no kind of forcing her to like stay in the cabin and take a nap in my bed, right? Like it just felt yeah. like okay, this that's part of what felt like I was like I'm not really into this because it just was a long time ago. Yeah, so she yeah. doesn't really gain anything from that masquerade. I don't think she learns anything about no. Well, that's right? the whole thing. Yeah. There's, When you write that scene, you have to think about, like, access, Mm -hmm. right, and power in those spaces. And the only way those scenes work really well for me is when it 
flips the script in terms of power. Right. Right. And this doesn't do that. This is a really, but it, it, it this is a pure plot device. Yeah. Um, that said, there are, this is, the sex. What's interesting here is like there. There's a lot of like old fashioned stuff going on on this ship between the two of them that then sort of becomes something else once they're off the ship, right? Like yeah. So there's um the sex itself, right? There's the fact that uh, uh that um George thinks that she's getting sick every time she's around. <laughs> I was seriously like, okay, wait. I was like, listen. Well, and my. <laughs> I was like, not only did that sort of feel ridiculous to me, and also like the where she tells like Mac, and I was like, oh god, like this is so like it's like that secondhand embarrassment. I was like, oh, don't tell anybody. But the fact that then later, it one of the things that really didn't work for me here is like her complete inability to put two and two together. But later, like somehow figures out that she's pregnant. Like boom, right? Like she has all yeah. like. All this, like, worldly knowledge about, I mean, she's even, like, I've been in my, I've seen my brother's naked. I know how this, the basics of this work. I don't know. Yeah. I just, that was a lot for but me, the like, I'm, thing. I feel sick. But what's really funny is that in the dialogue, <laughs> okay, so Joanna Lindsay, right, like, she's a queen of the early, this time period, right? So, like, for those of you who've never read books from the 90s, like, you are actually, in fact, reading, like, one of the seminal texts of the genre here. It's not just a seminal text for me. Yeah, it is. Um, right. And you're, read, you're reading a, a, an author who, like, who really did, um, illis- who, who added, sh- who sh- added shading and color to the genre. Um, so there's, so there are some interesting things going on here. I think what's really fascinating about this book or two between the, uh, the relationship between the two of them is twofold. One, the age difference and the way that they just like kind of like pick at each other about it. Oh, yeah. Constantly. And this nausea, which, of course, is silly. I mean, yeah. it's silly. She should <laughs> right. know the difference between feeling sick to her stomach and wanting to bone. But <laughs> he then, like, for the rest of the book, there yeah. are all these, like, little like moments banter, right? where, like, they're in public with all of her brothers and he'll say, like, oh, are you are you feeling nauseated? Yeah. Like, and she – and, like, there's – it's this very weird – like, it's nonsense. And yeah. then it becomes, like, Lindsay uses it really deftly as, like, a – Oh, yeah, like that private not, talk, right? Yeah, and you're not – like, I, I'm not – criticizing you for being young like for not understanding your body your body like now you do understand your body and like i love like i care about that i care about you i'm happy that and like there's this place where this book twists the whole male the whole like hero heroine like old school dynamic on its head around sex yeah for sure i was Honestly, yeah. really shocked by her. I mean, I I, so, I read plenty of old school romances where he basically forces her, right? The hero basically forces her. And I felt like she was such a willing participant and was really like, yeah, I definitely want to do this. I mean, to the extent that she wakes up the next morning and is like, I get why people do this all the time now, right? Like, I, she decides. There is a line. Yeah. 
it were in her POV in the first sex scene. I I marked it because I was like, I've been seeing people on Twitter, people reading yeah, along, with right, us, talking, right, yeah, sort of concerned about um, the consent issues, and I'm curious about that, and I would love to hear more from the people on Twitter about like specifics, like what page, literally, right, like what right. chapter, because I was really blown away by how um so i'm gonna i don't know what page it is on my on my kindle app it's page 185 it's at 44 percent, and she says so they're in the middle of it and they're or they're not in the middle of it they've just started the first sex scene um and she we're in her pov and in is she and the text reads yes she wanted him at least this one time right of course right, because of course. like she can't right. want him forever because he's English um, and I want to talk about politics too um, but then and then the next paragraph is in italics because it's her actual thought you have my permission to proceed captain yeah right and then it says she didn't say it aloud for he would only be amused and she didn't want to amuse him just now. The thought had been for her conscience anyway. She communicated the same thing, however, subtly, subtly by wrapping her arms around him. And he took the hint quite yeah. swiftly. In I fact. thought it was fascinating. So when we say, I mean, I have been, as you know, Jen, enraged over the last couple of years by all these sort of journalists who have come to romance to do a story yeah. and sort of said, like, how has Me Too changed the text? And a right. lot of people who don't know the history of the genre have sort of said, well, there's consent on the page now. Like, yeah. there is no more overt consent than what I just read. Um, and what's interesting is that on the next page, and this is what I assume people are sort of thinking about, yeah. he penetrates her and it hurts. Yeah. Because it's her first time. Sure. And like, congratulations. Like, welcome to being a woman in the world, right? right. And she's like, ah, no. And he's yeah. like, I think it's going to be fine. Yeah. And so right. he sort of like blows past it. Sure. And it is interesting because like, yes, like that probably now there'd be a whole like. Right. Where he'd be like, uh, okay, more of a I'm conversation. Right. Like, I don't want you to. Right. So, okay. Right. I get it. But like, I really do think like there's such explicit consent here. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, yeah. And I found myself also really, um, like, she doesn't feel shame or regret. <gasps> no, right? and then she talks to her brothers about it. Yeah. And she's like, fuck you for making me feel ashamed. Several times in the book, in fact, when she, like, oh, she's, she's wearing a low-cut. on low a cut. high horse oh, about yeah, it. where she's like, they're like, that low-cut dress. And she's like, what are you, ta-? right? Oh, you've never done <gasps> yes. this? Oh, you've never, right? Your okay. women have never worn these clothes? Can it we talk about amazing. that low-cut dress? Yeah. Because, so here's another moment. I thought that scene was between James and oh, her. Oh, and it was like her in brothers. my head. Yeah. And when it happened, when she turns up in the room and Tony's like, what are you wearing? And it's like all sort of a, what are you wearing? You can't go out yeah. like that. Like a sort of, and she's like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm going this out. Is like the this is the fashion. Then James sees her and yeah. he's like, she's gorgeous. Yeah. I want her. And he comes for her as, and like he's tell, he like says something snarky or like, right. Snide. Of course. Right. Like George in a dress. What? But like at no point is James like, don't you ever wear anything like that again? Like, I don't want people seeing you. It's a really interesting modern 
relationship in them in those moments yeah and so in some ways he is very controlling right like i don't want you going out and you know like but then other ways it's very it's not it doesn't play to type no it's really fascinating and he comes for her in that also i mean like there's something interesting that's happening with the like he comes for her to ask her to be his mistress like there's like a lot of like sexual stuff going on here and presumably it's all because like Lindsay had to figure out a way to make their sex like have their sex like really equal and like have have parity right and not make it you know rapey yeah and so there it's <laughs> really i mean i think this i i if you would ask me this again like 3 weeks ago i would have been like i don't know like i think it's james who's the big thing about gentle rogue but like now i feel like james is not at all the thing about gentle rogue yeah i said earlier he's kind of a mary sue i mean i think he's like really kind of perfect right like in a lot of ways <laughs> I want to shout out uh, Jen Porter, the other Jen Reads romance, because James Mallory is her favorite character. And so, like, I wish – I now I sort of wish that we'd had Jen on a little bit to talk about why she loves James so much. Um, I I mean, like, certainly at the end, it all – he does exactly what an alpha needs to do, though, like – where he realizes yeah. that he loves her. And then the whole scene where, like, she's on the ship and her brothers are keeping oh, her yeah, from him right. and he has to fight a line of sailors and he's just throwing punches <laughs> and prof- professing love. I'm eating it up. It's still, li- I want to, like, cover it in caramel and eat it. Yeah. You know, I will say there was a couple really interesting things that were happening. We talked last time um, in Dreaming of You about head hopping. And mm. I thought there was a couple really interesting ways in which this book, where they hop to his first meet, instead of like mm. kind of back and forth between the two of them, there's yep. this really interesting head hopping um, that happens. And in particular, I noticed it in the scene where he he's come for her, right? And you mean at the end or at the scene? No, at, no. It's a scene after where the, when she's wearing the dress. Right. She's wearing the dress and they've her brothers have forced them to get married. Oh my God. And locked them up in the like the dungeon or whatever. And she's like, I'm gonna go free him. And um, you know, she's thinking what she's thinking is I, you know, I'm gonna like basically I'm gonna free him, he's gonna get on a ship and sail away. And he's thinking, and she doesn't really know what he's thinking. She doesn't even realize how he feels about her. Like, she has not put two and two together. Like, this mf -er followed me from Jamaica to get me. Mm -hmm. And so then there's a scene where, like, they're in the, um, this is the end of chapter 36. And Mm -hmm. it's, oh, the end of chapter 37. So it's it's sort of like, what's going to happen? And, of course, from her point of view, we would expect her to feel like, oh, he's leaving from his point of view. It's like, not sure. And instead, it switches over to Connie, which is his first mate. Mm-hmm. And he's watching what happened. And he says he noted that Georgina just stood perfectly still the whole time. And James's behavior was even more interesting. He could have asked for assistance, but didn't. But neither would he let go of the hold he had about her waist. And so it's like there's this moment where neither one of them can admit what they want to happen, which is to be together. Mm -hmm. So you get this outside observer watching instead and reporting on their behavior 
without either one of their points of view. And it was mm. there were a couple times where this happened, where it's sort of that, and to me, it's really mimics the way if you've ever had friends who are dating and you're like, God, would you guys just figure out what we all figure, get a room yeah, already? Just get it together. Sure. And it was like this moment, they themselves can't admit or don't know how they feel. So we have this outsider for a moment, we get to like see them thinking, well, I know what's going on. And I thought that was really interesting. I, I just thought it was like really interesting the way she used that like that strategy at times to like sh- to show something that neither one of them could admit, I guess is how I would say it. It was I don't know. I thought it was I, I really found myself thinking it was very well done, even though it's not a Head hopping is not something I normally like. No, I I really like that too. Um, we're gonna read Lord of Scoundrels at some point over the course of this uh, season, and we'll talk about using that sort of third third person point of view from a, like a ter- secondary character again there, because I think um, Loretta Chase does that beautifully in Lord of Scoundrels, and you really don't ever see it. Yeah. Romance. No, unless unless you're hopping into the head of like a couple who you've seen before yes. who are like now we're going to have a moment between the two of them. Also in that scene that I, I had this moment where um so that whole scene like she basically takes off. She thinks he's like they have sex on the boat and then she is like okay, <laughs> peace out. Like, it's fascinating. And she leaves him. And it's not in a, like, she's not in a fit. Like, no. she's, they've just had, like, great sex. But she's... She's like, I saw my brother on the next ship over. Time to yeah. go. She's like, I gotta go. Bye. Um, And she kind of is like, well, I know he's never gonna want to be with me. Like, I know that it's yeah. unsustainable. She's still sort of in her head about, like, him being English. Um, But also she cares about him but like has sort of come to a place where she knows that like he's only ever going to think of her as a mistress it was fascinating though that even that thought process doesn't really come on page and like we know she's off the boat because james and connie james sees it sees it and he's like what the how'd she even get over there well and james is like he she sees him hug her brother yeah and he's like, I'm going to fucking kill that guy. Like, yeah. I don't know who that is. But it's the first time we see him go kind of wild about yeah, her. Like, right. Where he's like, I got to get over there. I got to deal with it. And then Lindsay's like, nope, the boat's already sailing. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, wait, what, what happened? <laughs> yeah. And only then do we get her sort of saying, like, like it, it was fascinating the way that was handled. Couldn't have yeah. been. He didn't want me. He didn't yeah. want me the way I, I would have. I would have wanted to be one. But I think she intended to go back and get her things and her ring and her, right? Yeah. Oh, and later he has her ring on a chain oh, around his neck and so she doesn't nice. even know why. You're so but dumb. He loves you. I know. She's such a dummy. But first, he turns up at this ball and he's pissed that he's had to chase her across, you know, the ocean. The Atlantic. To find her again. And the first thing she notices about him is that he's cut his hair. Hair, I know. And you have this moment, like, at the I, I literally, like, had an excited utterance when this happened. Because, I mean, I love, I know you do, Malcolm Slane. You love it when, like, they clean up. Oh, God, right? yes. And, yes. And 
James, something has happened to James on the crossing. Yeah. And it has something to do with her. And it's what we talked about during the alpha interstitial where, like, he's gone. He's sort of – he doesn't understand feelings. Right. He's he's having feelings (laughs) and he doesn't understand them. So they manifest as, I'm going to cut my hair. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) I'm going to shave. I mean, it works for women. Yeah. It's really (laughs) – fun it's have you ever seen that article that's like should i cut bangs or like deal with my feelings <laughs> right exactly james mallory gets he just bangs. was like i'm gonna cut my bangs i guess i don't, james, I don't know what else james, to do james mallory gets bangs show title uh, um <laughs> so and then um yeah it's just a great like the, and then that whole scene like at one point there's a lot like Lindsay's definitely a little bananas, though, as a writer. Because then there's a scene so, like, then there's, like, a jump cut between chapters where then, like, George (laughs) is passed out. Like, she's fainted in the middle of everything. Because her brothers are, like, all brawling. pummeled him. And then James wakes up and is, like, all bloody. And then he sees her, like, passed out on a chaise and is, like, what the fuck is happening? And he runs for her and the brothers are all, like... Don't let him near her. Like, there's a very, it's a really wild. And here's the thing. In this moment, it's, we. I was started to, I started to really think about YA novels and the prevalence of the love triangle. Yeah. Because, stay with me, I see your face. I know, I'm like. But like, where are we going? Oh, God. Um, (laughs) So, because these scenes, right, which feel like fishbowl scenes, like, I don't know. I can't tell you what any of these rooms look like. I don't know why any of these people are all in the same room at one time. Like, like, but there are four <laughs> Anderson brothers, Georgina and James. And they're all in a room together. And honestly, I can't tell you anything else about this experience, this whole scene, except that everybody is fighting mm-hmm. over George. And she is, like, surrounded by this, like, perpetual masculine energy, right? Just, like, a lot of, like... She's like, this is exhausting, (laughs) y'all. And I think there's something really, like, something, like, primitive here, like, in terms of the experience, right? The, like, and in these early books, in the books of the 90s, but also, like, in the books of today... Heroines have these like brothers, yeah, who are larger than life, yeah. And I kept sort of thinking, like, what do they represent? These brothers, like, and do they do the same work as yeah. a secondary hero in a love triangle? Like, is there mm. some sort of like? And I was, you know, I was obviously I was thinking about Twilight and how like Jacob's whole work in Twilight is to like be the one who protects Bella, like, who, like, constantly is saying, like, are you safe? Are you safe with this person? Like, do you, are you sure you wouldn't be happier if you were safer? You know, the thing I was thinking about is she, she was so neglected by her brothers who had never all been in the same place Mm. for years that she has to take off with this, like, uncle. And then when, like, 
the call to them all being together is that something is going on with her, right? And all of a sudden, everybody's back home because something is going on with Georgie. And I do think that was just, like, really important to her to realize in a way that she was important to her family. Yeah. And as as herself, right? Not just this pesky younger, you know, sister. But, yeah, that's, like, really interesting. That that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, certainly at the end, they're the ones that are, like, the impediment. I was kind of like, this is the big final conflict is the brothers are just, like, jerks trying to keep yeah. them apart. Well, that's honestly when I was like, oh, shit, there's no plot in this book. Yeah, right. I, I did, too. I was like, oh, there's no – it was fascinating to me that the conflict – Yeah, that was exactly the same moment I had where I was like, oh, I guess there was really, she had to have something happen and there's nothing that can happen except these brothers. Well, I mean, and also she makes such a big deal about these brothers. Like the first two or three chapters with George are like info dumps about all the brothers and who they're married to and where they went to. And like, let's recap you on every book that I've written so far about this family and all the books that I'm about to write about this family. Yeah. And it's a really interesting, it's like the beginning of any, like, Babysitter's Club novel. Yes. <laughs> For, like, where at the first chapter was the same. Of every, yes. Like. <laughs> or Jessica and Elizabeth Wakefield, perfect size sixes with their identical lavaliers, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So, like, and it just feels like, so there's this, like, giant info dump at the beginning about the brothers, and she sort of lays all the brothers on the table, like Chekhov's gun. Yep. And then, like, she brings them all back at the end, and there they all are, like, being brothers. And I'm like, here's the thing. It's delightful. Like, it's – and it has the kind of delightful feel, those scenes, because there's so much banter, too, between all the siblings that it has that sort of delightful feel that, like, a Bridgerton novel has. Like, suddenly I had this moment where I was like, oh, wait, you know, like, yes, Julia Quinn, like – popularizes the beta but like she doesn't really like it's not like she she certainly we know she didn't invent the family like right. there are lots i can name a thousand other families that come before then but like this really feels like bridgertonian in a sense like mm-hmm. this is like the this is the dna of the bridgertons like these mallory this mallory fussiness with the exception of the fact that like what julia does when she comes in a decade later and starts writing a different family, right? She puts women on the page in the family. Right, right. And that seems to be the big difference. I would also say it was fascinating that even James's son, who is younger than her, Mm. right? I mean, 17 or whatever. Jeremy, yeah. Yeah, still functions as an older brother to her. Yeah. When he he finds her, I mean, and I want to talk about this scene, he finds her, she's like, I'm gonna go find my fucking brothers, I'm going out in a hack to, like, the docks. And yeah. then gets there and is like, oh shit, there's a lot of boats, I'm gonna have no idea. It's Jeremy that finds her and brings yeah. her home, and she's convinced that he's essentially gonna throw her under the bus, but instead she realizes he's trying to protect her. Yeah. But I also felt that in a modern romance, James would have known she was gone and of have course. been furiously out searching for her and instead... I wrote that one. Yes. I wrote that one. <laughs> I love that. That's my fucking favorite. Instead, he gets drunk and passes out and doesn't even realize that she's gone. I know. There's, a, there's some really interesting... And so then I had this moment where I was like, is it also that like, 
it's too hard to turn these ships around these these men like yeah. because we're not in their POV we don't yes. get enough space with them we don't get enough time with them like these writers they're really struggling to like yeah understand the motivation of their heroes. Yeah, I mean there is a lot of James's point of view, but it's all it's, it's very real navel gazy too. Yeah, right? Well, and there are times like, you know, we know all along, for example, that he knew that, you know, she was not a cabin boy. But then the sort of like, I'm going to trap myself into marriage because I really want to be with her. It's not something he can even admit to himself or us until the very end. And it doesn't honestly really work. Like, no part. It it just feels like this is what a 90s romance hero would have to say. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Somehow that whole, right, like, I realized what had happened to Reggie, my niece, could happen to me. And if I, like, it was all very, the machinations of that. Yeah. I mean, like, look, I love that whole ending. I love the, like, oh, I love the cinematic people nature and, yeah, yeah, of him just, sure. like, barreling through people. <laughs> and her, like, yelling at Warren, oh, her, yeah. like, crusty older brother, and being like, I love him, I love him, I love him. And turning around and him being like, so you love me, right? It's <laughs> yes. very oh, Flynn. Yeah. It's very Flynn Rider for the tangled fans in the crowd. Like it's really, it really works perfectly. However, I do have one thing about that that I don't love, which is that at some point Warren says, um, uh, he Warren's basically there and it's like, I'm not leaving without yeah. her. And then James is like, no, you don't get to leave with her. Like she's yeah. mine. Um, and then he says, um, and then Warren is is basically like, you didn't, you didn't, you never wanted her. Like we had to force you to marry her. Yeah. And James says, um, that's nonsense. I wanted her enough to nearly let you hang me. Yeah. Right. Because there's this sort of like quiet little subplot where like sure. James used to, he's a retired pirate and his old piratical ways like came up against the Anderson Shipping Company, and so if he shows his face in. Baltimore or wherever the hell they are. Where are they? Connecticut. Conne- Bridgeport. Um, if he shows his face in Bridgeport, then he's likely going to be hanged for piracy. But, like, is he, though? Yeah, right, because, exactly. Because, like, we all know that there's no way that these five Anderson brothers, who all seem to be proper pushovers. Yeah, are going to kill their sister's husband. <laughs> exactly. They're just they're just not yeah. going to do it. And so when he rolls in, I think we were supposed to sort of vaguely feel like, oh, this is a threat to him. Like he's he's taking a knock to risk for her. Sure. It like, never feels that way for real. It doesn't yeah. feel risky enough. Yeah, and I think that's why I think I keep referring to him as a Mary Sue. Like, maybe that's what I mean, right? Like, everything just works out for him the way he wants it to work out. And he, we're seen, he's seen as being, like, really the ultimate figure who has it all under control. Like, really, throughout the entire text. And, you know, yes, he can't really admit he loves her. But everything is seen as, you know, him, like, having a, you know, an ability to understand how people are going to react, whether or not they're worth, like, talking to or not, right? Everything just goes the way he wants it to go. Which I guess maybe that's that 90s alpha. Yeah, I mean, he has to be all-powerful. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, uh, so what do you think? 
I loved it. I Here's what I would say. I found the first, I, the beginning was a bit of a slog for me. I was like, okay, I'm reading this for research. Mm. Once they got on the boat, I really did yeah. find myself just like enjoying it for what it was. Although, like I said, I had my moments. It was funny. Someone on Twitter pointed out that um, he keeps calling Georgiana, I can't remember, but I was like, he... He routinely refers to his brothers as, like, old boy and chap. So, like, a lot of that, like, kind of language and stuff I didn't love. But I, and, you know, like I said, I definitely got to the end and was like, wait, there's, like, actually no conflict here. But she is such a great character. And I really loved the sense, like, that feeling that I just was, like, really going back in romance time and able to see how some of the things that we still grapple with in the genre today were present and have evolved. And, you know. I loved it. I thought it was, I actually had a lot of fun reading yeah. it. I think it's one of those things where, like, this book is, so when you think about that, um, that uh, portrait of, like, from the from the ape to the Neanderthal to the, you know, like, yeah, as like, humans, right. you know, that yeah. famous picture of them, like, evolving. Yeah. It feels like this book is one of those stops, like a very clear leap forward. Yeah. But we're not close to being where we ultimately will end up. Yeah, right, of course. Um, But ultimately, like, I really enjoyed rereading it. I loved rereading it. I just want to say, like, if I can just fangirl over (laughs) you a little bit. I feel like doing this podcast for the last year has, like, really changed the way I read these books. And I feel like, look, we started doing this podcast because I was – reading them pretty intense yeah (laughs) and and i'm i feel like now um i just reading this i i saw so many things that i would not have i think been able to really articulate having seen so i'm just really happy that we have theta mates i am too i I love listeners i hope you guys are really happy that you have theta mates i wish you could talk to us more and here's the thing we are actually working on it for you to be able to talk to us more. We will have more to say about that on the next read-along podcast. Uh, Jen, why don't you tell everybody about the next read-along podcast and why we are not releasing Yeah, this. so here's I, – I guess I would like to say – as we have embarked upon this, I think originally we thought we would, like, know what all the books were, but – and, like, sort of have a, an order and, and feel like we were really committed to it. But I think, like, podcast by podcast, we're really, like, fine-tuning, like, oh, no, we shouldn't talk about another – we don't need to talk about another 90s historical next, right? And so really trying to, like, pace out, like, kind of where we are and what we feel our feeling and also so you know I, I think we just underestimated what you and I would need which is to sort of make it like a case-by-case decision so I don't really think we're ever going to be able to get to the point where we can release like multiple titles in advance so I think we're just and I know that it's really hard for those of you that are like reading through your libraries and you know or I'm like trying to keep up yeah right and so I would just say you know, we're we're going to try and keep thinking about that maybe to the point where we can do two books at a time. But I just think right now we were both pretty stressed these past couple weeks because I started back to work and Sarah's had a lot going on. So we're just going to say that next time we're going to do Dark Lover by J.R. Ward, which is a book I chose. Um, uh. <laughs> and And then I think what we'll try and do is for the time after maybe really be able to name like maybe two books, the next two books if we can, but it might not work out that way. I just feel like we've really 
I don't know if it sounds, I know that sounds wishy-washy, but it's really harder than we, I think we thought to commit to an order. Yeah. I also just want to say like, we made these lists without rereading yeah. in most cases. So um, uh, like there was a book that I wanted to choose that we started reading and both of us sort of felt like it was not yeah. the right book for yeah. the podcast. Um, so I think, um, you know, that's happening too. Like we're kind of, we're, right. we're making decisions on the fly because we want to make sure that we're doing this kind of like deep dive work that I know we know you guys really enjoy listening to and thinking about with us without doing harm. Yeah, right. I think that's exactly right. So if you will all be patient with us while we try and figure out the best way to do that here in season two, I think that's really all we can say right now. Dark Lover. Um, it is the first book in the Black Dagger Brotherhood series, um, which is a vampire series. So Cressley Cole fans, here's your chance. Uh, you've probably read the Black Dagger Brotherhood at this point, though. Yeah, it's a, also a series that's still ongoing, right? She's still... Still ongoing. Yeah. Um, it has a very, very clear voice, yeah. um, authorial voice that is really different than anything that we've seen really anywhere, I think. Yeah. Is it 2006? Yes. Uh, September of 2006. So it was right around the time that uh, Cressley was writing the first book in the IAD series. Yeah. Uh, something was in the water. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, but interestingly enough, so this will start, if you've never read anything by J.R. Ward, if, you've, uh, if you're a paranormal reader, for sure, you've read one of these books. Um, right. If you've never read anything by J.R. Ward, like this is the start of her most popular series and arguably the most popular paranormal series ever. Oh, I think probably that's the case, I yeah. Mean, yeah. So um, we're going to talk about this. It's a lot. Enjoy. <laughs> and uh, and we will, you know, we'll get to the bottom of the bananas. But uh, also we will have, as I promised on that episode, a way for you guys to interact with us about the books that blooded you. Um, because that's really what Jen and I are interested in this yeah, season. Yeah, we're excited about it. So stay off pirate ships. I mean, I don't know everybody. Pirate ships? No. I mean, I love a pirate ship. <laughs> I mean, not Wait, like modern oh, pirates. You know what? This is the perfect segue we can announce to everybody. So Sarah and I in the romance for races. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Races. Um, for like, uh, was it a Suzanne from Love and Panels put together a huge fundraiser. <laughs> and we, we offered up that we would like let a winner pick a a topic for the an interstitial. Yeah, you guys, <laughs> we expected you to be like, there's only one bed. No. Well, this is sort of on brand for You're pirates. Filthy, <laughs> filthy monsters. They picked pegging, and I just want to keep my job, everybody. So it's going to be real fun. <laughs> We're probably going to have a special guest. Oh, yeah. And it's not going to probably be really anytime soon. I think Sarah and I both have to do some preparation. Yeah, we're but, doing some research ahead of time. Um, it's going to be amazing. And, you know, considering we were talking about pirates today, I guess I would say peg legs, pegging, a different thing. <laughs> yeah, sure. Peg legs. <laughs> peg legs. There were no peg legs in Gentle Rogue. Thank God. I mean, thank God. There was enough weirdness and problematic elements that we wouldn't, thank God we didn't have to deal with that. Um, oh my God. Anyway, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Fatamates. 
You can find us on Instagram at Fatemates Pod. You can find Jen and me all over the place. Wherever, yes. wherever, you know, your podcasts are sold. <laughs> um, don't forget to subscribe to our delightful dulcet tones so you can get them in your ear holes every week. Next year we have next year. Next week we have an interstitial coming. I forget what the topic is. What's the topic? Cinnamon rolls with Andy Christopher. Oh, cinnamon rolls. Yeah, because we heard you. We heard you whining about alphas. And now we're right. We're here gonna for you. talk about cinnamon rolls, you guys. We deliver. We deliver the content you're looking for. That's right. Um pegging. And, <laughs> and pegging, you jerks. All right. <laughs> oh. Until next week. <laughs>